And they like Matt better, but it's okay. <clears throat> when you come to Big Dog, you get the target painted right on you, you know? Um, man, we're a happy group today, you know? Everybody's like laughing. It's good. I like it when it's like this. Awesome. If you want to, just open up your Bible to Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at about the first seven verses there this morning. And uh, we'll do some stuff. I, I really don't have... I don't know why I even say this, because every time I say this, it ends up being a lie. I don't have many things I want to share. I have just a couple nuggets I want to get out, and then it'll probably be an hour and a half getting that nugget out. That's the way it normally goes. Awesome. Hey, wasn't worship good this morning? Dang it. Dude, I'm telling you, if you want to get healed, you just got to come and get in worship. It's like, it's the beginning of wholeness in Jesus. Yeah, um, I say that almost every week now, but it's just so true. All right, everybody that in Luke chapter 9? Okay, good. Um, I want to start with this uh, this morning. Um, this is going to be a bit of a, of a family meeting, uh, at least to begin with. Probably, actually, all morning. I just want to, there's some things I just want to say that you normally don't. It's not our normal um, Sunday morning routine. I, I want to begin with this. That, um, this has been, I've been experiencing this for about six, six or seven months, but I haven't been free to share it. It's been something that's just been sort of between me and Jesus, and I've only been released to share it this week. Um, there is a there's a change in the season. I believe this is a, is a change in the season that's for, um, it's definitely for this church, but I believe it's actually a change in the season for lots of churches, but it's, it's definitely a change in the season for this church. And um, and what I mean by that is, is that we're, we're in a moment right now where the Lord is going to begin to emphasize something new to this church that he hasn't historically emphasized at this church, Okay. Um, historically, uh, this vineyard here in Campbellsville is 14 years old, and we have been a church that started in a living room praying for two ladies with breast cancer. And so out of that, this church developed. We, see, we didn't plan on planting a church. It was an accident. Uh, two ladies with breast cancer got really sick. Some families came together to pray for them. God's presence showed up at the prayer meeting, and more people came because God's presence was there. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Anywhere God is, people just tend to kind of congregate, you know? And so that's kind of what happened. This church wasn't a plan. It was an accident. And because of the, because of the way this church began, because of the way it was formed, it was formed with, with prayer for the sick, this church has always been, one of the things that the Lord has just always emphasized that this church is, um, is the, the power demonstration, uh, especially in, in praying for the sick. Uh, and uh, we've always had a heart of prayer. And at those early meetings, we always... We, we would, as the meetings progressed, as they, as they started out just as prayer meetings, very quickly they turned into mostly worship meetings. And there were, there were a lot of meetings where very little prayer for anyone happened because we were just so taken with worshiping the Lord. And so there have just been certain things that the, in our 14-year history that the Lord has emphasized to us. He's grown those things. He's developed those. He's strengthened those in us. And, and those are pretty, pretty, they're pretty plain. If you hang out here for six weeks, you'll, you pretty much know. Uh, the Vineyard Campbellsville is, uh, we're a prophetic church. Everybody around here prophesies. If you, if you take two laps around the building, you're probably going to get three prophetic words. <laughs> we're a prophetic church. Uh, we're a worshiping church. We like it loud. We know that, that loud bothers some people. We just don't care. We just think God likes loud. Um, we found that loud is more enjoyable. Um, uh, so we're a, we're, we're a prophetic church. We're a worshiping church. And, uh, you know, we're, we're a church that presses for uh, the supernatural breakthrough of the kingdom, especially as it's demonstrated in physical healing and transformed life. So those are things, those are three things that God has just sort of 
sewn into the DNA here. He's just sort of worked that into the dough. And those have been things that he's emphasized to us, and he's grown those up in us over the last 14 years. Um, in fact, last night at, at church, uh, we do Saturday night church, so there's about 60-some of us that aren't here this morning that normally would be who were here last night, and Justin had an awesome word. And at the end, we did some ministry time, and we prophesied to one another because we were kind of training some people, some new people. And in the process of training for some people, uh, one of the girls in, our, in the group that I was kind of in charge of got a, got a word of knowledge about a leg being in like a messed up leg and sure enough one of the guys in our group had the messed up leg uh we prayed for him um and he he only experiences the pain when he's running and he went out running he ran two miles last night pain-free and that hasn't happened in a long time see we have breakthrough and that's that's been the kind of thing that's just sort of historically happened around here you know but what I want to say is that there's a season change, and so the Lord is going to begin to... I felt this for about seven months, six or seven months, that the Lord wants to begin to emphasize something new. And here's why the Lord wants to emphasize something new. This is actually... Um, this is normal. This is the way the Lord works. This is actually the way the li- that life works. The Lord will emphasize something for a while. We'll see some growth there. And then if we're listening to the Spirit, He will eventually begin to emphasize something else. And this is really important to be listening, have listening ears and, and obeying hearts because if we don't have listening ears to pick up on what the Lord is beginning to emphasize, what happens is we will focus on what we've always focused on and eventually we will stop gaining strength in what we've always had strength in. Okay? Let me tell you how that works. Uh, it works like this. Um, some of you guys are somewhat students of history. Okay, you know when sailors were out on the, out on the boats back in, the, uh, back in olden days? I like, I like to call it olden days. Say 1500s, 1400s. What was it 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue? Okay, back in those days, they would get on a ship. They would load the ship with everything. Like when Columbus got on the ship, he, had no, he was going to India. He had no idea how long it would take him to get there. He really didn't even know where he was going. He was just like, we're going east, you know, or going west rather. Yeah, west. <laughs> he didn't know where he was going, so they, they load the boat down with food and they load the boat down with things that they can preserve and then after a, a month or two on ship everyone ends up with what scurvy because they don't have any vitamin c they don't have any fruits they don't have anything that's citrus and they all end up with scurvy and why the reason they have scurvy is because they're eating an unbalanced diet and so what that's one of the things that the lord wants to do is he wants to emphasize something at this church that he hasn't emphasized historically in our 14 year history because if we continue on only developing the areas that we've been strong in the past will actually become a diseased church. We'll end up with scurvy. Um, some of you guys in here uh, work out. And uh, if you've been to the you can, I occasionally go to the gym, but I mean, I'm just, I'm skinny. Like, I, um, I can work out so incredibly hard. There was a season in my life where I, I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to be huge. I, and it was, just, it was just me working out my insecurities through bulk. And so I decided I was going to really, you know, I was going to get huge. I was going to be the guy who could walk in and whip anyone. And, again, it was just working out insecurities. It really wasn't real. But, yeah, I took, I drank protein like a beast. I worked out as hard as I could. And after six months, I gained a pound, you know. <laughs> I mean, I was as hard as that wood floor, but it was, you know doesn't work. But anyway, if you've been in the gym, uh, how many of you guys have, who have ever worked out have been in the gym and you see these guys who are incredibly swollen up here. They're like, they're like just huge. And then they come in one day in shorts and they got like the, the pencil legs. You ever seen those guys? 
What's it's odd, isn't it? It's uh, it's it's like you have you have worked on what you wanted to work on so long. You have done what you, brought you joy for so long in the gym that now you're like this deformed monster. You have you have toothpick legs and a giant chest. But here's what'll happen. If you continue to work on your chest, and I've confirmed this with people who are bigger than me and much stronger than me. If you continue to work on your chest without ever working your lower body, you will eventually get a nice looking chest. It'll grow, it'll develop, but then it will stop. And you know why it stops? Because the body isn't making any more hormones for growth. You know where the hormones for growth come from? Your biggest muscles, and they're in your legs. So if you want to get bigger in your chest, you eventually have to work your legs. If you don't, you become deformed, and even the thing that you were working towards in strength stops. Okay? And so one of the things the Lord is doing here is He's about to re-emphasize some new areas in our church because what He wants to do is He wants to develop a church that isn't just like big barrel-chested with 20-inch biceps, but He wants something that has a lower body that's in proportion to the upper body. Um... Oh, I've got one more example because lots of gr- there's a lot of girls in here and you guys probably don't care about working out or in the gym, right? Um, any, anybody in here watch Top Chef? Mm-hmm. It's my favorite show on TV. It's like, it's how Heather and I date each other. We have three kids and they all play soccer and they're all in different age groups so that when they play soccer, they're on three different fields. And so between three kids playing soccer on three different fields and the practices that happen, like we don't get to hang out, you know? We are soccer people. We're soccer parents. So in order to, to sort of date one another, you know, we, we have a couple shows that we watch, and one of them is Top Chef. And I think it's the coolest show on TV. Um, they make amazing food. See, here's the deal. Heather and I are foodies. We like food, and we like wine. We like the finer things in life. And, and so they have this whole show that's about, like, making amazing food. And um, if you've ever watched Top Chef, there's, they, they call it the Top Chef Curse. Um, there's been seven seasons. They call, there's a, there's, they call it the Top Chef's Curse. And the Top Chef Curse is, uh, historically, in every season, one or two chefs who are incredibly good, like, like, like after you watch four or five episodes, you go, oh, that guy, that, he's incredible. You know, it's just, you see the way he maneuvers, you see his finished food, you see the way the judges re- respond to his food. And then at some point, the guy, that you, the guy or the gal that you think is the strongest in the competition, the one who continually puts out the best food, at some point, they get the bright idea that they're going to make dessert, and then they're voted off. And they call it the Top Chef Curse. And the reason that they get kicked off for dessert is because their entire life, they've focused on making great proteins, and they've never really focused on making great, make, making great desserts. And then they try to do something that they haven't historically been great at doing, and it gets them kicked off the show. Have you all ever seen that, Right? It's real, and, and but it's and it's like it's kind of like heartbreaking because I, I don't know why I get attached attached to the people who are on the show. I don't get it, you know. But anyway, um, it, it used to bother me. I'm like, you know, this isn't top dessert. This is, you know, I, I, who who cares? Give me the guy who can cook the meat. You know, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Except what they're going for is the top chef. You know, they're not going for the top protein dude. They're going for top chef. And if you're top chef, you want to be well-rounded. You want to be able to handle a rack of lamb. You want to be able to handle, you know, uh, some sort of appetizer salad. You want to be able to handle the lobster, the crab. You want to be able to handle the fish. You want to be able to handle the meat. And you want to be able to handle the dessert. I mean, who, who wants to be a chef who doesn't know how to make dessert, right? 
uh, who wants to go to a restaurant that doesn't have dessert? And so that's one of the things I feel like the Lord's doing. He's wanting, to, he's wanting to recalibrate the vineyard a little bit. And one of the ways that he wants to recalibrate, um, and I've just been really feeling like there's a season change in hand, and the season change has to do with evangelism. Um, that's, never been, that's never been one of our main focuses or even one of the things we've been super good at, except that seven months ago, in the Spirit, I started hearing nursery. And I haven't, I haven't been released to share any of this, really. But uh, about seven months, seven months ago, everywhere I would go, just, you have to go with me a little bit, internal, audible, sort of spirit kind of moment with the Lord. I started hearing nurseries everywhere I was going. I started hearing crying babies and da-da-da-da. And, and I didn't know what this was about, except that I began to ask the Lord, Lord, what is this about? And the Lord says, hey, I want to give you new kids. And you better make a nursery. And um, so one of the things that is going right now is that we are in a time where we're in a season right now where the Lord is going to be, begin to reemphasize evangelism and winning the lost not just recalibrating the kind of saved. I'm talking about winning the absolute stone-cold dead lost. Like going to hell in a handbasket and liking it the whole way lost. I've just found that most people who are going to hell, you know, you know, a lot of them are actually enjoying the trip. You know why? Because they don't know anything better. If you don't know there's anything better, you try to make the best of what you got. And the Lord is going, to, he's, he's in, he, right now he's, he's, He's opening grace. He's going to pour out grace on this church to win the stone cold going to hell lost. And um, <clears throat> it's really funny that I haven't felt released to share this. I mean, I didn't feel released to share this until this week. And um, it's not, it is, it is, um, it's prophetic that I was sort of released to share it this week. Uh, we're, we're heading into an actual, a natural season change. Summer's coming to a close and fall's opening up. The fact that I'm sharing this with you today, it's actually prophetic. It's, it's not just a season change in the spirit, but it's a season change in the natural. A lot of times they mirror up. And we're heading into the season change of harvest. Um, a lot of you guys know that Ray and I, we have, a, we have a vineyard where we raise wine grapes. And starting at about August 15th, all the way up through uh, sometime in October, depending on, upon the variety, this is, when we, this is when we pick the harvest. It takes all year long to come. And now we're in this, we're in this process of, of picking the harvest. We're out there, and the grapes are ripening, and we've still got a few more varieties. And so it's, it's, it's not just a season change in the spirit, but it's a season change in the natural. They're, they're aligning. And we're, we're coming into a time now where, where the Lord wants to develop in this house a heart for harvest. And it, it's, it's really it's a heart about, about grabbing, uh, grabbing the fruit that's already beginning to develop out there. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but I've been noticing that with the people I come into contact with, especially just people just out and about, that people are wide open to the Lord right now. Wide open. Um, tell you another little prophetic encounter I had this, this week that just re- reignited in me the reality that this is something that's happening right now. Um, I, I'm, out, I'm, out, um, I'm out mowing my grass this week, and while I'm mowing my grass, I, I begin to just weed eat this fence row. <clears throat> and while I'm weed eating the fence row, my neighbor, who is like, he's like a vapor. He's like a ghost. Like, I never see this guy. I see the signs that he's around, but I never see him. Like, you know, like his grass stays mowed, but I never, I don't see him come in. 
I, I don't see him go. I don't even see him go up the road. I, I, I think the guy just teleports wherever he goes. <laughs> anyway, so I'm out weed-eating this fence row between he and I. There's a, I have a long fence, and it's between our two properties. And while I'm weed-eating, I just see him come up, and he's got a little jar of honey for me because he has some beehives. And uh, I, grab his, I grab the little container of honey, and we just begin to talk a little bit. And actually, we end up talking for about about 30 minutes because I'm just sort of curious about his bees and whatnot. And as I begin, as I'm climbing back onto my lawnmower to take the weed eater back home because I have a really long driveway. And while I'm getting ready to, st- I mean, I'm almost starting it up, he turns back around and he goes, Hey. And I'm like, Hey, yeah, what's up? He goes, And this was just so out of nowhere because we've been talking about honey and bees. He goes, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read the Bible this year all the way through. It was like, I'm like, what? And that's literally what my, was my reaction. He says, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through this year. I'm like, dude, that's amazing. Like, where are you at? He's like, well, I'm in Luke. I'm like, dude, you got through the hard stuff. You're in the good stuff now. Come on. We started talking about the Lord for about an hour and 20 minutes. And at the end of it, God just said, man, I'm in. And when he said, I'm in, he's talking about, I'm into, he says, he's basically saying, Show me how to get in with the Father and have peace with God. And here's the deal. But here's the real deal. It was, it, I wasn't even trying. It's just that he's so wide open, he just blurts it out like the fish jumped in the boat. You know what I'm saying? You know why the fish jumped in the boat? Because it was ready. You know? I was just, I just happened to be around and it was ready. And so the Lord is just beginning to reemphasize to us, and, and I want to reemphasize to you guys that like, it's, it's harvest season. It's really, 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 really time. And it's really important that everywhere we go, especially out there, that we have a, a mind. Always running in the back of my mind is that when I encounter people, two things. Number one, they need God. And number two, they, they probably even know they need God, even if they can't articulate it. And I'm the answer. I mean, you know, Jesus is the ultimate answer. So don't give me an email. But... But, because uh, I don't need that email. <clears throat> but in the moment, I, I'm the answer. People are just wide open to the Lord right now. Uh, I, I have, uh, for the last, and this has been going on for six or seven months, when I'm out and about, especially when I'm not here, when I'm out and about, and um, I'm just meeting random people, anytime the Lord comes open, I, it has been wide open, the pathway into their heart. People have told me things that they just shouldn't even be telling a stranger, except that they are desperate to know God. They're desperate to know God. Uh, furthermore, and, and I just want to make this clear too, furthermore, um, when it comes to people coming to uh, a knowledge of Jesus that brings them permanently into the kingdom, I just want to say this. That is, that mission is our mission. That's not my mission. That's our mission. Uh, just so you know, and, and if you've been here even for six weeks, you've probably picked up on this. Sunday morning at the vineyard, we've, we've geared our services to be for believers. They're not necessarily for unbelievers. Um, unbelievers are obviously welcome. Uh, God has touched unbelievers here powerfully in our 14-year history. We, we have unbelievers. They're probably unbelievers here right now. Um, but we have geared our services on the weekends, for the most part, to be for believers so that believers can be encouraged 
Ephesians 4, to go and do the work of ministry. See, like, the, the, the work of ministry, that ain't my job. That's our job. And so we have to have a real mindset change about what is the pastor's role, what are paid staff here to do. Because if we, if we stay stuck in the traditional mentality that Adam and Andrew and P. Ray and Hannah are, you know, the hired boys, they're the hired hands, and we pay them to go do the stuff, man, we're going to miss out on a whole lot of fun, and we're actually going to build a construct that keeps people from coming into the kingdom. Okay? It's not my job. It's our job. Okay, let's look at, uh, let's look at Luke chapter 9. I just want to, I want to quickly highlight a few things, and then we'll Ask the Lord to do it. All right. Uh, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he, hold, and he told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake off the dust of your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. We'll just stop right there. That was, that was maybe the best I've ever read. It's, I must be really anointed this morning. I, I read on like a third grade level. Especially when I'm in front of people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I love Luke chapter 9. This is one of my favorite passages. I tend to go back to it because it just really puts it together for us. Um, okay, so we're... We're in this moment where I feel like a season change. The Lord is going to be is wanting to emphasize evangelism to us, and so I just want to take you quickly through a couple verses here. And it is one of the things we have in these first seven verses is we have the life cycle of a of a, of a Christian or a believer in a, just a few verses. Uh, you guys remember from school when you were studying science, like the water cycle? Y'all remember that? Like it's like. It's like water vapor in a cloud, and it rains, and then it comes down a mountain, you know, and then it evaporates. And y'all remember that? Okay, just think of it like the water cycle. This is this is just how things this is how things happen in the kingdom of heaven with believers. So, verse uh, verse one: When Jesus had called the twelve together, gave them power and authority to drive out demons. Um, yeah, everybody who's sitting in the room who is who has. Everyone who's sitting in the room right now who has um, encountered the Lord Jesus and that encounter has brought you out of darkness and put you into light, everybody who's, who's made, that, made that transition, uh, you know, call it what you want, born again, getting saved. Uh, I, I like to use kingdom of heaven language because I actually think it's, it's, it's more, more accurate. Born from above, born into the kingdom, out of darkness, into light. Everybody who's done that has done that because they've responded to the call of Jesus, okay? Jesus has been out there. Someone, someone put the call of Jesus out there to you, and you responded to him. And at that moment, you became, hopefully, hopefully more than just saved, but you became his follower. Um, I want to stop right here just for a second, because um, this is a point that we need to get across. I meant to do it a minute ago. But in the process of going out of darkness and into light, um, how, how many of you... How many of you made that transition of out of darkness and into light because you went to a massive crusade, a Billy Graham crusade? Anybody here? Go out of darkness into light? How, how many in the room went, came out of darkness and went into light because you were watching Christian television and you watched an evangelist? Richard, don't jerk me around. Really? 
You never told me that. Okay, so one out of 200. Anybody else? Okay. Tell me if this is... That's, Richard, that's awesome. I'm, I'm taking you to lunch. We're going to talk about that. I'm not denying the reliability. I'm just I'm trying to make a point here that most people come out of darkness and go into light through personal relationships. Is that the rest of us? Was it because someone, someone took you out of darkness and put you in the light? Was it like your mom, your praying grandma, you know, your weeping grandma? I've been praying for you, son. I'm not making fun of that. I just think it's, I think it's awesome. But that's the, that's the beginning part, is that when Jesus, he, he calls people together. And, and, but the second part is this. When we, one of the second, and this is one of the major transitions of, of the life of a believer. It's not just that you get called to Jesus, but verse, verse 1 there, Jesus called the 12, what? Together. There's something, about, there's something about life in the kingdom. It's not an individual experience with Jesus. Life in Jesus is a communal experience. The Lord himself is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is perfect unity, perfect community, perfect harmony. I like to think of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as three-part harmony. There is harmony between them. There is community between them. And everywhere the work of the Spirit, everywhere the work of Jesus, everywhere the work of the Father is made manifest on the earth, there will be a communal response to that call. So when, when you become a believer, it's not just an, it may have happened as a, you, know, you and your grandma who have been praying for you, it may have just been that one moment, but shortly thereafter, you will come into a greater community of people. It's, it's not an individual call. It's, it's a, it, is a, it is a communal experience. Um, <clears throat> and it actually, becomes, it actually becomes a barometer that we can, that we can guide our life by. This is, this is one of the barometers I use to just sort of guide my life. Uh, sometimes if I'm having a hard time wondering if something is from the Lord or not, one of, one of the barometers that I will put on it is, is this activity, is this thought, is this mindset, is this, is this thing, is it going to create a kingdom community? Is the outcome of it a natural kingdom community? If the outcome is not, an, is not an, a kingdom community, I question it. If the, if the outcome of whatever, whatever, whatever experience I have or whatever thought I have or whatever activity I'm in if it leads me only to greater individualism and solitude, I question it. Because the Lord is always about collecting people and doing something together. You get around Jesus, you're going to get around people. That's good news and bad news for some of us in here. Hmm. Here's what the Lord does. He calls people to themselves. They come out of darkness. They go into light. In the process of being called to Jesus, you get called to other people. You can look around the room. You're called to the person next to you just as much as you're called to the Lord. Okay? When you begin to think that you're called to the person sitting next to you less than you're called to the Lord, oh man, it won't be long. And you won't be walking with the Lord anymore. Because somebody will offend me. Make me mad. Hurt my feelings. Aggravate me. That person hurt my feelings. Pretty soon we begin to translate that to the Lord. <clears throat> he doesn't just call to himself. He calls us into community. He calls us into family. But then he, then he begins to train us in the family business. And this is what it says. He says he, he called them together and he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. 
Here's the deal. Jesus doesn't intend that, that people stay infants forever. He wants to empower us beyond adolescence. See, one of the things the Lord wants to do is, well, let me put it this way. There's a lot of people in the church, there's a lot of people in the church who have hung around the church without ever growing up in Jesus. There's a lot of people with gray hair who have never matured in Jesus. That's not the Lord's intention. He wants to, he wants to grow and mature people. And the way, one of the ways that he grows and matures people is by empowering them for something more. And he, and he empowers people with power and authority. And this is what I think is absolutely hilarious. In the process of empowering people, the first thing that Jesus does is he gives them power and authority. Which, if, if you're a leader of any kind, uh, and you've been around people and you've tried to you know, congregate people around a common cause or to train them, the last thing you want to do is to give your babies power and authority, right? Except that's exactly what the Lord does. Exactly what the Lord does. I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but at this moment in Luke chapter 9, the disciples had been with Jesus a year. At the most, they had been with him a year and a half. The, these guys, these guys had only been with Jesus a short amount of time, and it's just a few months with Jesus, and he's already beginning to give them what he has, and he's beginning to give them the same mission that he carries. You know, a lot of us, a lot of us do, do leadership development like this. Um, first thing we're going to do is clean up your character and clean up your act. And then, if you do good on cleaning up your character and cleaning up your act, then we'll give you the keys to the, to the hot rod, right? That isn't how the Lord works at all. He's like, here's the key to this hot rod, and in the process, I'll take care of your character. This is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Here's why it's a big deal. Because if we, if we, if we think that we have to get our act together on the power and character side, I mean, on the character and, and, and um, what's the other word I'm looking for? Integrity, thank you. If I have to get my act together on the integrity and character side before I can be given the keys to the hot rod, it will keep me in a performance mentality that, that, that keeps me in a place of working for something that he just wants to give me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, how good is good enough? Well, how bad is too bad? Like, like how trustworthy do I have to be to get the keys and how untrustworthy would keep me from getting the keys? Jesus is like, let's just bypass that. Here's the keys. Whoa. You realize that right after this, and I've taken you guys through this a couple times, just read the rest of Luke 9. By the end of chapter 9, they want to kill Sumerians because they don't welcome them into their town. They have character issues still. Jesus gives them the hot rod first, and then he says, along the way, you just keep following me, and I will take care of your character issues. Jesus is not about... Jesus is not about creating a system that requires us to perform for the power. He's like, just here's the keys, go for it. Ride the bike. We get called into we get called out of darkness into light. We, not only that, we get called into a family. We get called into a family where we learn the family business, and the first lesson in family business is power and authority. It's like, here you go, son, here's the chainsaw. That's really how it is. You know how you learn how to use the chainsaw? Cutting your leg a time or two. Pain's an incredible motivator. See, the gospel works so different. See... We come, when we come to the Lord, we need the medicine. And then after a short period of time with Him, we are the medicine. 
That's what real transformation is. Jesus wants to give us the medicine, and then he wants to transform us into being the kind of people who are the medicine. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, we are his ambassadors as though God were speaking through us. We are the medicine. You know, what's wrong with the world? Well, there's a lot of things that are wrong with the world, but what's right with the world? Well, if it's going to be right, it's going to come through us. God has never done anything apart from partnership with people. He partners with human beings on everything that he does. So he wants to, he wants to empower and authorize us for something. Here, here's the deal. Power is the ability to do something, but authority is the right to do it. Here's the other thing I want you guys to notice, too, is that Jesus' intention when it comes to releasing power and authority on his disciples, he's wanting to release a certain kind of power and a certain kind of authority, and it has to do with the supernatural. It's a supernatural life. The true mark of a transformed life is the life that has gone from being strictly held in the container of a life that works on the principles that are set out in this world. And it jumps, eventually jumps out of that container and says, no, there are times when I work, I work in principles and I work in dimensions and realities that have nothing to do with the laws of nature. That, that is a transformed life. It's, it's not just, let me put it this way. A lot of us have this mentality about the Lord and about the gospel, that the gospel is, um, the, gospel is the thing that takes your sin away. That's true. It's only about half true, though. See, the real good news of the gospel is that Jesus takes your sin away and then he gives you something in its place. And it's power and authority. It's, it's that it, you take this step of being completely, completely bound completely fenced in, completely hemmed in by darkness, and he sets you into light, and in light, you, you pass out of the laws of nature. That's, that's one of the transitions and transformations that God wants to make in his disciples. You know, um, it, it makes sense. Well, let me put it this way. In this, on this planet, uh, cancer is the big C that's the death sentence. But in the kingdom of heaven, it's a joke. It's, it's not even a joke. No one, they're like, what? I don't big deal yeah just God's wanting to transition us from that Um, I've told this story a couple times but I think it fits today Uh, last year we were uh, there was a guy who used to go to this church he's moved to Iowa now but he came in it was during the summer and he he was picking up a really heavy board because he was working construction they were lifting a giant wooden beam and in the process of lifting the giant wooden beam just his head just just started splitting he was just and it didn't it didn't go away like he thought man i must have burst a blood vessel or something when i picked that up and so he decided to go to the doctor he goes to the doctor they say you know we're not sure what's going on let me give you an mri they send him over they get an mri and they call him back and they're like uh this is not good you have you have a tumor right in the middle of your brain and it's about the size of a walnut all the way around right dead center and that's where the pain's coming from and you just aggravated it when you picked that giant board up so he comes he calls me and he is completely freaking out you know this is like on a wednesday completely freaking out he thinks i'm done i'm toast i'm dead you know he even he even intimated that over the phone he's like adam you know i'm too young to die i've got a little girl and you know, my wife isn't around and i don't know what i'm gonna do you know i'm like well you, you come to church on sunday and we'll have a couple of the guys pray for you we stood him up right here i remember it was right here with this black chariot we put 10 people around him uh, I started praying, then I had to go help somebody else. And But while we were praying, I do remember this. Heat came all over his body. He got as, he got as red as your shirt. And 
the, the headache left him that had been there for five days. He goes back to the doctor for another MRI. That following Wednesday, they shoot another picture of his brain. There ain't nothing in there. You know why? It's because in the kingdom of heaven, cancer, it's... A, it's you know? There is a certain kind of life. There's a certain kind of life that God wants to develop in his followers and in his disciples. And um, it, is, it is a powerful life. And so, the, and so the good news isn't just that Jesus took the sin away, but that he's put something back in its place. The other thing I'd like you to notice is that Jesus empowers his followers so that they can preach the kingdom of God. And preaching the kingdom of God is, this is the message of the kingdom. God's rule and his reign is advancing, and everywhere God's rule and reign is, things get set right. That's the message of the kingdom. And he wants to empower a kind of life that can demonstrate that reality. We've seen glimpses of it. I think we're going to see bigger glimpses of it. Especially when it relates to people coming into the kingdom. So the Lord draws you out of darkness. He puts you into light. In the process of being put into light, He puts you into family. And then He begins to empower you. And the reason that He empowers you is because He wants to, re- he wants to set you on mission. So here's the deal. Jesus empowers people. Jesus empowers people for a reason. And the reason that he empowers people is because he has a mission. And he has a mission for everyone sitting in the room. If you're in a purple chair, if you're alive and you're breathing in the room right now, Jesus has a, he has a mission for you. It is, it is your mission. He has an individual mission for everybody in the room, as well as a collective, a collective mission for us. Okay? And, and what the Lord wants to do is he wants to set every single person in here on mission. Um, one of the truly unique uh, aspects of the kingdom and one of the truly unique aspects of Christianity is being set on mission. Uh, if you ask me what does it mean to be a Christian, one of, one of the top things that it means to be a Christian is it means to be set on mission. If you haven't been set on mission, you are something, but it might not be Christian. It is, it, is uniquely, it is uniquely Christian. It is uniquely, it is uniquely built into the experience of following Jesus. If you follow him around, he will eventually tap you on the shoulder and go, tag your head, go do it. And there's something, about, there's something about God's mission in the earth that eventually falls upon his people, and he wants to empower us to see that mission come around. Um, here's the deal. Uh, uh, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of kinds of views on, on who the Lord is and, and what he wants to do in the earth. There's a lot of kinds of churches. And uh, there are some churches that are enamored with mission. And they're enamored with mission. And they've become so enamored that they've, that they've lost sight of the power that it takes to actually do the mission. Okay? Uh, not only that, there, there, are, there, are some, there are some schools of thought and, and, and belief modalities that, that have existed and they emphasize mission and the, and the real reason they emphasize mission is because they want to avoid power and so they begin to develop a kind of mission that can be done without power I want to tell you if you're developing the kind of mission that can be done without power it's somebody's mission it probably isn't the Lord it's probably just yours the one you can carry in your own strength 
Now, there is another kind of mindset that's out there in the church, and there's other kinds of churches, and, and some of these churches embrace the lifestyle of power, but they embrace it apart from the lifestyle of mission. And when you begin to divorce mission from power, you get all kinds of weird creatures created. Uh, a, a, lifestyle of, a lifestyle of power without mission is just a sideshow, but a lifestyle of mission without power is just humanistic philosophy. There's, see, Jesus wants to create a certain kind of dynamic. Um, when people come out of, out of darkness and come into light, he has, he has a certain kind of experience that, he, that, he, that he's hoping to get across in that moment, and it's the kind of experience that actually requires power. There has to be a demonstration of power. Otherwise, this is what we're left with. Otherwise, we're talking people into things, and when we talk people into things, they can be talked out of them. There needs to be, there needs to be, there needs to be a definite, defining power encounter for people. See, one of the things that the Lord has, has emphasized and empowered in this church, I, I, I alluded to it at the beginning of my message, was he, he has emphasized and empowered the prophetic ministry at this church. And so, like I said, you know, you cough twice, somebody will prophesy to you around here. But I want to tell you this, and, I, and listen, let me tell you, I love the prophetic ministry. Uh, we're, we're not giving it up. We're not, we're, not even, we're not even putting it on the back burner. We're just, we're going to keep it on the front burner and put something else in there with it. Um, but here's the deal. The prophetic ministry isn't the point. This is something the Lord's been talking to Bubba and I about for the last couple months. Uh, prophetic ministry is rarely the point. Prophetic ministry simply opens up the path to the point. Um, like the point and mission, the, the point and goal and destination for your life isn't a prophetic word that leads you to more prophetic words. The point of your life is to get a prophetic word that leads you onto the path of your goal, your hope, and your destiny, and your future. See, my hope for my church isn't that we become a prophetic church that prophesies to everyone. My hope for my church is that we become a prophetic church that opens up paths that allow people to actually hit their destiny in Jesus. And part of the destiny in Jesus for every single person in the room is he wants to put you on mission, and the mission has to do with taking people out of darkness and putting them into light. Let me put it this way. See, you're not called to get prophetic words. See, nobody in here is called to get prophetic words. Everyone in here is called to give prophetic words that change people's lives forever. Most of us in here have enough prophetic revelation to last us for the rest of our life. See, the goal isn't demonstrations of power. It's transformed lives. The other thing I want you to notice here, too, is that, is that Jesus sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. And, and I've already alluded to this, but I want to underline this again. that The best preaching actually doesn't happen here. It actually happens out there. Out there. We, we have to embrace the kind of lifestyle that is lived outside of the purple walls more than it is in here. The, the, by far, the coolest things that have ever happened here at the vineyard have all been out there. I mean, we could tell stories for a year, and they've all been out there. Like, there's been really some really awesome things happening here. The coolest stuff happens out there. And it's an embracing 
a lifestyle that says, oh God, put me on mission. Show me where my mission is. Show me, show me where you want me to be, God. I want to I go out there. I want to preach the gospel out there. I want to do this stuff. I want to do this stuff out there, you know? I want to do this stuff out there. For like the last seven or eight months, like I said, I've just been noticing that people are, at least around here, they're just really open to the Lord. They're open to the gospel. But we're, as a nation and even as a, as a culture, we're living in a, in a place and a time in history right now that is quickly becoming post-Christian and post-religious. And here's what I mean by post-Christian and post-religious. We're living in a time where uh, just the larger cultural waters, are, they, they run like this. It's like Christianity, oh yeah, dude, that was the thing we used to do, you know? Like, it's like passe. We're kind of over it. Um, we're, we're as a country, like unless there's a massive, a massive intervention from the Holy Spirit, we're, we're headed into um, a heart toward the Lord that is that is very much like Europe. Um, I have a, I have a friend who's from Belgium, and I was just quizzing him about um, people's thoughts about the Lord in Belgium, and and he's like, oh yeah, um, basically, basically we just feel like. That was what we did before we, that was what we did when we were babies. We're just kind of over it, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, that, that, whatever, you know? And America is quickly headed toward this, this post-Christian, post, actually, it's, we're headed actually towards something even more extreme than that, post-religious. People are just over religion in general. Because I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but all the headlines lately, you know, have been, or not all, but a lot of the headlines about the world's problems um, one of the ways that the media interprets it is this, religion is the problem. And so people are taking on this mindset that like, rather than Christianity being the solution, ah, dude, it's just another religion that's actually part of the problem. And so there's this, there's this mindset that's developing that says, you know, you know, the real problem in the world is, is Christianity. And you know, the real problem in the world is belief in God in general. And so we're moving into that kind of culture. And one of the main reasons that we're moving into that kind of culture uh, probably not the whole reason, but I'm convinced it's a big reason. One of the massive reasons we're, we're headed toward that reality is because, because the church has divorced power from mission. It, it, we've just, we've divorced it, you know? I mean, we've, you know, there, there are churches who are so devoted to Jesus's mission, but they, 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 they've not been equally devoted to the power it actually takes to do his mission. And so really what you end up with are limp-wristed, impotent versions of Christianity that end up being just secular humanism with a Jesus sticker on the top. Or we end up being power mongers who are divorced from Jesus's mission and we just end up being the sideshow crazies who really don't care about people. We just want to put our TV show on. You know what I'm saying? People are like, dude, I don't want that. But one of the things I feel like the, course, the real course correction is for a massive intervention of the Holy Spirit and it's going to manifest itself in people who are, who are equally committed to Jesus' way of doing things and Jesus' mission.
All right, just a couple more things. I want to speed this up. Verse 4 and 5, he, he just says, or actually 3 and 4 and 5, he says, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. After Jesus empowers and after Jesus sets the mission, one of the next things he wants to do, and he wants to do this for everybody here, is he wants to, he wants to narrow the focus. Okay? He wants to narrow the focus. That's what he's doing in verse 3. Take nothing for the journey. You don't need a staff. You don't need a bag. You don't, you don't need any bread. You don't need any money. You don't need an extra tunic. What the Lord's really saying here is this. He's like, it's not so much about what you take with you. It's about what I give you. Okay? He gives power and authority. And after you have power and authority, you really don't need much else. And so one of the things that, that we need to do is, as believers, after we, after we become committed to his way, being empowered after we become committed to his mission is we need to say father would you speak your defining word over my life and would you would you show me where the excesses in my life are would you show me what might be what might be advantageous to let go of he wants to narrow the focus it's not about it's not about like you know if if the only mission you can accomplish is the one that that requires you to have a lot of money it's it's just your mission again and he wants to define the focus boil it down and he wants to empower that um, then let's, uh, let's, let's turn the page. I don't, well, I'm going to turn the page in my Bible. Perhaps you'll have to. Verse 10, when the apostles come back, it says they returned and they reported to Jesus what they had done. And then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethesda. And the crowds learned about it and they followed him. And he welcomed them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Stop. This is what's really awesome to me about this, this passage so Jesus calls people together. He puts them into community. He puts them into a community that he wants to empower for his mission. He sends them out. They go out empowered. They do his mission. They come back to him. And you know what they come back to? They come back to Jesus. And you know what they bring with them? The crowds. If you read the Gospel of Luke, this is when the crowds really start to get around Jesus. Why is this important? It's important for this reason. There were not massive crowds like this following Jesus until he sent disciples who were like him out into the surrounding countryside to do what he had been doing. He multiplied himself into people. When he multiplied himself into people who were like him in power and word and in deed, they came back to him. And when they came back to him, there were crowds that followed him. And this is where he feeds the 5,000. Crowds begin to follow him. When there's a, when there's a marriage of Jesus' mission, when there's a marriage of we want to bring people out of darkness. We want to put them into light. When it's married with Jesus' methods of power and counter, crowds show up. And it's, all because the, and it's all because the disciples were on mission out there. None of it's about, none of it's because the disciples had good meetings on the inside. It's all because they were on mission out there. Not only that, I, I really love what I, I love the rest of this passage. When Jesus feeds the five thousand, uh, it's the disciples who pass out the bread. Again, he's still working through his disciples to feed the people. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand up this morning? If you're on the ministry team, why don't you come on down?